0: everyone, welcome to a fresh, brand new episode of the M.A. Theology Podcast. I'm Dustin Walters, joined by Ben Campbell. Ben, it's great to see you as always today. Uh, we continue our series this morning. Sorry for jumping right in there. We continue our series this morning um, from the discussion that we started last time on the Free Will Baptist Catechism, the Free Will Baptist Catechism. So that's where we're heading today. We're glad you're here. We hope that you all are uh, continue to be encouraged by what we're doing here at Everyday Theology. Ben, I thoroughly enjoyed our first podcast discussion of the Free Baptist Catechism, and we had some interaction with some people on social media that uh, it seems that our listeners might be enjoying this as well. I hope so. I hope we're um, getting some things that our
1: listeners will enjoy and continue to come back and listen some more and uh, maybe this won't just help our listeners understand the Bible and Scripture and the Lord more, but it will help them to understand sort of our doctrinal spectrum and and our theological method and and uh, all of that. So I think this is really good. And I think it's going to be really helpful for the listeners who are not of our camp. You know, who are of us but not in us. So I'm I'm right, excited right. to. Uh, to get down to question two in the Free Will Baptist Catechism.
0: Ben, why don't you go ahead and read the question and answer for us um, from question two from the Free Will Baptist Catechism.
1: Okay, question two, is there any other God? The answer is no. There is only one God, and he exists as a unity of three persons called the Trinity. These three are the Father, Son, and... And Holy Spirit,
0: what an excellent question. Um, and, and this, dear listener, um, gets into the subject of monotheism. Monotheism, we'll talk more about what that means here in just a little bit. But I did want to point out to our listeners, as always, that the answers to the question are based on scripture, and this comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and verses 9 through 11. I think it's always fascinating, Ben, the verses that get picked. Um, Because, you know, supporting our belief, apologetics claims, we could just about turn to any number of of, of verses. Uh, But I don't I want to read these verses from Mark chapter one uh, for our listeners today. Reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Mark one, Mark chapter one and verse nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So there in that verse, we have the, the activity of the full Godhead present at the baptism of Christ, which is really just mm-hmm. a powerful uh, passage. So that's the the foundation. So is there any other God? No, there is only one God. So Ben, can you provide us with an overview of monotheism? Sure, I think so. Monotheism, which
1: you've hit on, uh, and we've you know just sort of been dancing around, is the belief that there. It, well, I say belief; it's really the the worldview that there is one God. Mono is the prefix for one theism or theos or however you want to say it is. Uh, the suffix for God. And so a monotheistic religion is a religion that believes in one God and one God only. Um, So if you were to uh, contrast that with a pantheism type of religion, you would uh, understand that the pantheists believe in many gods. Um, And so The reason that monotheism is important is because it it makes an exclusive claim of authority and sovereignty and ascribes that authority and sovereignty to a higher being of some sort.
0: I love what the Free Will Baptist Treatise says about monotheism. Um, In part two of the Faith of Free Will Baptist, it says, the scriptures teach that there is only one true and living God. And then it goes on to provide some descriptions. Who is spirit, self-existent, eternal, immutable, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, independent, good, wise, holy, just, merciful, the creator, preserver, and governor of the universe, the redeemer, the savior, the sanctifier, and judge of all men, and the only proper object of our worship. Mm.
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot there um, with a lot of different uh, descriptions of this monotheistic god of of Christianity but I think there there's several things uh, that are very important in regards to the monotheistic God of Christianity that
0: hopefully we'll get to um, in the you know the latter part of the episode one of the things I think it's important for our listeners to consider uh, when we as Christians affirm belief that there is only one God we're actually uniting ourselves um, there, there is a commonality between Christian belief and Judaism and Islam. The three leading world religions, according to how many are are participants of those religions, um, are all monotheistic. Ben, so and I think that's a great point and apologetics point that that really we can use as we even think about evangelism. Um, I, I was at a restaurant in New Orleans and I met uh, a Muslim man and I was able to talk with him about Isa, the prophet Jesus because um, the common Abraham faith and the common monotheism, even though it's a little different. Mm-hmm. So I did want our listeners to know that when we say that we believe there is only one God, there's a lot to that. Um, but we actually are uniting ourselves Really, with ancient religion, uh, when you think about Judaism and um, and then even Islam later on, <clears throat> so one God. There's only one, not three, not three different gods, no. but one God, and not many gods. Uh, why? Why is it? Why does it matter how many gods there are? Ben, um, what is the philosophy? What does the scripture say about the why there must Logically, only be one God. Well, the reason that the scriptures
1: portray God or or portray, you know, the the universal sovereign as one and not many is because uh, there's no such thing as multiple sovereigns. There's not there's not more than one sovereign creator who. Who is ascribed all authority and worship? Um, because what that does basically is that puts everyone on an equal playing field. There's not there's not one who is above the other, and you read all over, especially the Old Testament. You you read, "I am the Lord, and there is no other." Isaiah 45, Exodus 20. Um, you know, the commandments, you you shall have no other gods before me, for I am the Lord, I'm a jealous God. And so the the philosophy here is that the worship of a higher power should be, must be ascribed to the God of the Bible, because he is the creator. Of heaven and earth, and He is the sustainer of all living things and all life as we know it. And I, I also must mention, um, just as a a little aside here, to the Trinity, that this is so vital to Christian orthodoxy that we don't believe in three gods, or we don't believe as one God with three beings. The, the reason we say persons, um, and if you want a, a good um, discussion on this, if you want a good guide to look to for this, I would recommend our listeners look at Fred Sanders and his work on uh, the Trinity. He has a couple of different books. One of them that I would recommend would be The Deep Things of God and basically he 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 answers the question you know why do we call the 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 three persons of the trinity persons because when we say persons we we typically mean people and tech, if if we want to be really technical which i'm going to be here for just a second when we speak of people we're speaking of different wills, different essences, different ontological um, DNA and whatever, and thoughts and minds and wills and all all of the above. But when we speak of persons in the Trinity, there's there's something... um, We're not saying that there are three different wills. We're not saying there are three different persons. Uh, we're not saying that there are three different uh, people. We're we're simply, uh, in one sense, using human language to describe God. At, at some point in the Trinity discussion, you have to just accept that this is the way we're describing God. You cannot, uh, you cannot agree with Christian past and Christian history and Christian orthodoxy and say that there are 3 dif- like there's 3 gods in one god. This episode is brought to you in part by the Welch Divinity School at Welch College through the Master of Divinity degree. Welch seeks to foster Christian scholarship and to provide leaders with graduate education in the classical theological disciplines and their integration with the practice of Christian ministry. If you would like to learn more about this degree and the new Divinity School at Welch, please visit welch.edu forward slash mdiv.
0: Yeah, so the doctrine of the Trinity is is really a rich doctrine, and we've talked about that before here on the podcast as well as on the blog. Um, And it, it is complex, but as it relates to Israelite monotheism, it's important because we are affirming that there is only one God. And Ben, I wanted to point out something that philosophy of religion, obviously we look to scripture and we think about what the Bible says. That's what we're most interested in. And yet, we need to think about what the philosophy of religion scholars say about this as well. One scholar describes God, capital G, as the maximally greatest being. There cannot be more than one maximally greatest being. And what that means for us is that when we affirm belief in one God, we're looking to Scripture, but we're also using our minds to think about what does it mean to be God. In the ancient world, you know this, Ben, there was a plurality of deities, lowercase deities, that people would worship. And I've been recently reading in Isaiah preached a sermon in Isaiah 45. Uh, if you go into like the next chapter, Isaiah 46, the Lord through the prophet mocks these false idols, these false is these pagan deities, and God pretty much says, "Ben, you guys are worshiping this god that you put on a cart, but when you go down the road, he falls off." And what what the Lord comes in there, Ben, and says is, "Listen." I'm not going to fall off the cart. In fact, I'm the one that's carrying you. Uh, you can't. And so when you think about Israel in the ancient world, you think about how is Yahweh different than uh, some of the other pagan deities. There, There is one thing that I think that does connect to the total personality here with the doctrine of God and answering question two, is there any other God? When we pray, Ben, we don't have to wonder who we're supposed to pray to. Um, We don't have to pray to the rain God and the sun God and the, uh, the climate God. We just talk to the one who made it all. And that puts his sovereignty in center focus.
1: Yeah, and specifically the fact that he is the creator of all things. And because he's the creator of all things, again I, I mentioned this earlier. He's the sustainer of all things, so he's the giver of life, but he's also the sustainer of life. And you know that to me, that that just kind of resonates, and it
0: reconciles everything else. I love the doctrine, uh, the doctrine of of God, and thinking about our God as one. Thinking about the fact that there is no other. Just brings so much validity to the truth claims of scripture and it answers the inescapable questions of life. Even implicit, just within this one question, are there any other gods? There's only one. And that should cause us to consider whether or not we are living in submission or in rebellion to the path that this one God has ordained for us. Because if there is a God, You and I, Ben, are not free to do whatever we want to. Culture tells us today, just follow your heart and do what you want to do. And we talked about this when we mentioned the uh, uh, worldviews on the Four Lindsay and Friday a couple of weeks ago. But it's so imperative for us to think about the way in which our understanding of the one God, who is a triunity of persons, impacts every other thing that we believe. It does, and again, this is why the doctrine of
1: God is so important, right? Um, and because if this God is real, if this God is completely sovereign, if He does exist in Trinity, and you, we're, I'm getting like way ahead in in all of this catechism stuff, but you know, if He has intervened into history through His Son, and you know, has done much to save us by His Spirit, then then He deserves our complete devotion. And that is vitally important to, uh, you know, how we live our lives. It's vitally important to how we express our religion. It's vitally important to, uh, you know, the things we say to other people or the way we parent and the way we, you know, espouse um, ourselves to another person. Just all of these different areas of life that seem sort of irrelevant to religion actually become relevant when the doctrine of God meets the total personality. Because if God is not sovereign, if he's not the creator, then none of it really matters. I mean, what's the point? There's, there's no, he doesn't deserve anything of ours um, because he's not, he's not done anything for us.
0: I think it's so powerful to think about these considerations. Um, Is there any other God? No, there is only one God. And the fact is, this God isn't just, as in deism, some far-removed being, um, but as in biblical Christianity, He's the God who not only created time, but He's the God who stepped into time through His Son. And you mentioned, Ben, uh, kind of an apology for going into future questions. I think it's important for us to consider, um, even for our listeners to think about, we like to put things in compartments, compartmentalization, you know, we like to talk about one specific thing, especially as we work through the catechism. But I think it's very clear to you and our listeners that these areas just, um, you can't, you know, you have to have the whole counsel of God. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think that when we consider who he is by nature of being one, um, that we're really kind of highlighting an important aspect that impacts everything else we believe, and by the way, one of the things that that makes the incarnation so powerful, Jesus actually comes on the scene, and he makes claims that only Yahweh in the Old Testament would make. Mm-hmm. And then when you see the early church actually worshiping Jesus just like they did Yahweh, it says something significant about the inauguration of the Messiah's yeah. kingdom. Well, that's but we're not talking about that today. But that I mean <laughs> that's why the Pharisees killed
1: him, right? I mean, because he he made claims that only God made, in the law and in the Old Testament and in the law and the prophets, and that's why they called him a blasphemer, and uh, they were they were blind to his deity and his divinity. But uh, you know, again, we're getting ahead with that. Um, yeah, so I think it's important again to help us understand um, the importance of God being one, but also being three. And so there is a unity among the three persons of the Godhead. And that means that they are co-equal, as the creeds say, and co-eternal. They are Uh, subsistences within the Godhead is how the the Athanasian Creed describes it. In other words, they exist simultaneously. They are of the same existence. They are of the same essence. They have the same wills. They have the same actions. They have the same attitudes. And they don't do things that contradict. So you don't have
0: like Jesus asking the Father of permission to do something, and then the Father saying no, and then Jesus going to his heavenly room and like... (laughs) Uh, pounding or something <laughs> right like that. right yeah yeah
1: so you don't have that um, or you don't you what you, what you don't see like in the New Testament when when Jesus says like the father is greater than I he's not meaning ontologically what he's portraying in, in John is in the Gospel of John where he says that is his humanity. And, you know, when he says, not my will, but but yours be done, he knows what the will of God is because he is God, but his humanity limited his actions on earth because the eternal plan of God from the beginning of time was to intervene into human history to save lost souls from eternal separation from him. And so, um, you, you know, there's, there's a lot there. And so this is important, too, I think, for—I'm I'm, going to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here. I hope that's permitted. Um, but that this is why it's so important to understand the role of the Spirit as well. This means also that the Spirit only does what the Father and the Son do. So this is what you would call um, the eternal relations of origin. The Father is unbegotten. The Son is begotten from the Father— And the Spirit is um, spirated from the Father and the Son. And so because they're all three unified, it means that they don't do anything to contradict each other. So this means that in the worship of Creator God, the Spirit is not going to tell you, air quotes, tell you to do anything that's contradictory to the character of God or that's contradictory to the Word of God. So you can take that as you will, but um, yeah, I'm not going to go into specifics. But um, you know, so we often have this misconception, though, don't we? That there is a like that we need a work of a new work of the Spirit, or uh, if you'll just you know Acts two thirty eight, if you'll repent and be baptized, and then you'll receive the gift of the Spirit, then then you'll have true Pentecost in your life, things like that. Well the moment you repent of your sins and you trust Christ in faith by faith uh, for salvation, you receive the Spirit. He's indwelled you. and so um, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that and make kind of help our listeners resonate with and reconcile that there there's not like different ways in which they act with with us. They're all acting in this in the same ways though they have different roles.
0: Yeah, the the way in which the Father, Son, and Spirit as one God act um, is so powerful. And, and as you were sharing about the different false misconceptions of the Spirit, uh, I think this also brings into the conversation the role of the church, the role of the believing community, because when we as Free Will Baptists say, "I believe in God who is Spirit, and I believe that He is one." Uh, we're not, we're agreeing with everyone who who is, when you say Orthodox, we mean low capital, lowercase O. We don't mean Eastern Orthodox. We we mean Orthodox going back to the early church. But when people start coming up with these interpretations about any theology or any of the persons of the Trinity that contradicts what number one is revealed in the word and contradicts what has been understood in Christian history this is a serious mistake. And I once, uh, when we once attended one of the frugal Baptist seminar, frugal Baptist conventions, there was a seminar in which uh, brother Chris Talbot gave a speech and a, a talk. And he said, if you want to have more of the spirit, you got to have more of the word. Hmm. And that statement I agree with, but yet you and I both been have friends who disagree with us significantly on this. Um, you know, God, the spirit telling people to get down in the church service and bark like a dog or, <laughs> yeah, these, <laughs> right. Well, or, or, or something like I've,
1: you know, I, I was, uh, I was, when I did, was in college, I did some singing and I was at a church one time with a group I was filling in for and I'd kn- the guy came up to me. I literally, kn- I didn't know this guy from Adam and he came up to me and he shook my hand and, and said, Hey, welcome. And said, do you have the spirit? And I was like, well, yeah, well, I was like, yeah, I think, <laughs> you know? And so I, th- I was like, yeah, I do. Yeah. And he said, no, like Acts two thirty eight. Have you have you received the gift of the spirit? And I was like, yes, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so <laughs> we just, we often think, right. That, that the gift of the Spirit is something that has to be um, an outward expression type of thing. And that's that's not how the Bible
0: portrays uh, the Spirit working. I hope you all have been encouraged, as Ben and I have tried to make our feeble attempt to reflect on the fact that God is one. And the oneness of God, it brings order to this chaos that we've created the oneness of God points to the beauty and grandeur and the sovereignty of his plan. And the oneness of God really gives us that anchor for the soul, that sure and steadfast hope that will not disappoint us. Ben, any final thoughts on the oneness of God? Yeah, I would just simply say you can't have
1: Trinity without the oneness of God. um, As well. And that's why in this question, it says that this one God exists in three persons is because if, if God is if the Godhead is not one, then it's three gods. And and that's uh, a, a massive heresy. And so um we have to in the conversation of the Trinity and the 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 triunity of the Godhead, we also have to uh emphasize the oneness and that oneness uh affects every single aspect of our uh devotion to
0: uh, this God. Well, listeners, we are just ordinary pastors trying to connect theological truths to everyday believers. We pray that this discussion from the fruit Baptist Catechism has benefited you for your good and for God's glory. Until next time, thank you so much for listening to the Everyday Theology Podcast.